0: Two people graduate from uni on the same day with the same degree. They both get a similar job in their chosen field. Now fast forward 10, 20, 30 years, one feels more in control of her life. Let's call her Jane. And the other feels like they're still on a treadmill. Let's call her Kim. Why the difference? How can we be more like Jane? Welcome to the elephant in the room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's, agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia, and author of Auction
1: Ready. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say on here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of a professional.
0: Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website, as well as download our free full or forecaster report, which experts can you trust to get it right? The au. Today we want to challenge the notion that success can be measured by zeros in your bank account, or how many properties you own for that matter. And That's not to say that money isn't important, but how do we use it as a tool rather than view it as an end in itself? How can we take control? To explore this topic, we're joined by Terry Condon. Chief Education Officer at Cashflow Co, a money mentorship program and co-host of the Passive Income Project podcast. He is driven by the idea that financial intelligence and emotional intelligence can enable most Aussies to build a rich life, and we're keen to learn more about what he means by this. Thanks for joining us today, Terry.
1: Hi, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Terry, so good to have you on, mate. I um. You know, ex-financial advice. I just love this whole challenging what finance really means and what you, you know, what are you trying to achieve in life and how much does money matter? But why do you feel that managing money day-to-day is just so important to, I guess, overall happiness and well-being? Well, it's one of your three key resources. you got time, talent and money. And
2: if you don't know how to allocate your resources effectively, it's very hard to get what you want. Very difficult. Um, and uh, it's just one of those areas that, for me, uh, no one ever really taught me how to allocate money yet. No one ever taught, taught me how important that would be for being able to make the most of the limited time that I have. That's kind of the, the main premise of our whole thing is like, your time is way more valuable than your money. You never get your time back, but your money, most people make money every month. It comes in every month, you know? Um, so you can learn the game of money to get more out of your time
1: because you don't have that much of it. Mm. It's funny. I was just listening with my daughter this morning on the beach, you know, she was playing with Uh, seaweed, and we were just sort of, you know, running around on this seaweed, right, and I just had this, it was this sort of thing, like, in two or three months, we're going to have a second baby, right, and then that moment where it was just her and I on the beach playing is sort of gone, right, and it's gone forever, and so, uh, and I can't go back to her at that age being a toddler running on seaweed, you know what I mean, and so like it's so important at that time you're you're sort of present or able to spend that time because if i had to rush off to work or you know had to do a commute etc i wouldn't have been able to take it down to the beach and so it's so important that you know you're trying to um, i agree as well you're using money to create something right and whether that's time or whether it's experiences etc um yeah you can't get these times back how do you sort of uh think that people should approach managing money at the start though like do you start at your goals or do you start at just getting the fundamentals right? What are you? What's your philosophy?
2: Yeah, like I guess our thesis is it's very difficult to make sound financial decisions unless you're very clear on what you want and what that life looks like, what it feels like, what it smells like, what it tastes like because in the absence of that clarity, what you'll tend to default to is what society tells you, which is you just should get more. You just need more, just more, just work harder, do more and keep going. And you're in the grind and then it's very hard for you to actually have those moments that you talked about. And I think what a lot of us don't realise is that windows like that, windows like that moment you just, you talked about there, Chris, they are closing on us every day. And if you're not really intentional with how you spend your money, it's very hard for you to make the most of those windows and you'll look back and you'll live a life of regret. Um, And uh, when you look at all the research, the biggest thing when people talk about on their deathbed, the biggest regrets were the things they didn't get to do or didn't try to do. And if money is not enabling you to do or have or go after those things that you really want, then it's not even, it doesn't matter how much you have, money has controlled you, you haven't really controlled it. We know heaps of people that have heaps of money that aren't controlling their money, they're controlled by it. So for mm. us, it's um, what are you doing with it? How are you using it? How is money moving through your life? And focusing on how you spend is the way to actually maximise and optimise your money.
0: It's one of the risks of getting a mortgage, though, isn't it? (laughs) Because, uh, you know, in olden days, uh, when I was an employee, I remember some bosses saying to me, we want all of our employees to have a mortgage so that they're Mm. You know, they're on the treadmill. And and yet... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we need a home. We need a house. And, and then there's the aspirational side of that. And you think, okay, well, if I'm doing well, I want all the trappings of that. I actually want to show that I'm doing well. So, there's it's very um, complicated, isn't it?
2: Yeah. So, we've got I guess like just guideposts or rules or sort of rules of thumb. And um, for us, we just kind of use these as ways to to think about or how do you allocate your time? Uh, How do you you allocate your money to be able to get the most out of that time you've got here? And it's basically just these kind of more of this, less of that type rules. So the first one for us is um, control of time versus accumulation of money. And that is not to say that you don't want to accumulate money, but it's just to put money in its place. Um, Because we like what I said before, you can always make more money, you can never get back your time. So you need to make sure that you're using money in a way that allows you to optimise, maximise the time that you do have. The second one is memorable experiences over meaningless possessions. And so when I say that, what I mean is an experience that you have, a memory that you create, like that you know, that moment on the beach that you had, Chris, that's going to appreciate... Over time, If you call back that memory and you remember it, you're going to remember it more funnily every time you remember it. So there's actually a dividend that comes from that memory. And the sooner you have some of these memories, the better. So it's not always the case that you should always wait for what you want. Sometimes these windows Mm -hmm. are closing, and if you don't make the most of these windows now, then it doesn't matter. So sometimes it's a wiser move in our eyes to spend money now on things that you can't get back later. Um, mm. Than to always be putting off and delaying gratification, um, in pursuit of this, you know that 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 whole sort of number. I hit my number and then everything changes like that. To us, that's just um, nobody's controlling their money that way. They're being controlled by it. So, you know, it's not to say that you shouldn't buy things or anything like that. That's ridiculous as well. It's just really trying to, I guess, reset the gauges around how you how you decide, because those choices, they are how you create your life. If you think of, and you look at your life right now, it's the accumulation, it's the result of the accumulation of choices you made up until this point. So if you're not deliberate
1: about these choices, it's very hard for you to create that life. Um, I bet it's quite going to sound quite morbid, but I think I've mentioned it to you, Veronica, anyway, I've got a countdown clock on my uh, laptop, right? And it opens up Google Chrome and I set it up you know, almost three years ago. And I had over 18,000 days on it. And literally this week, it clocked under 17,000 days. And this mm-hmm. is like assuming, you know, life expectancy in the 80s. And, you know, just yesterday, I was sort of thinking about this, right? And I was just thinking, you know, that's 5% of my life, etc. On this park bench uh, with my daughter again. And um, there, there was a in memory of this guy, right? And, you know, some jack, let's call it. And he died at 60. And I'm just thinking like, well... That's assuming I've got 70,000 if I went to 80, but you just never know when that day is. And this is where this whole delay of savers can potentially get themselves into this problem, right? They don't go and experience experience, they don't go on holidays, they potentially don't you know, go and spend money because they're just sort of trying to accumulate and they're just getting security. And then they're so hesitant on investing, etc. cetera. Um, yep. You know, there's that problem versus the people who just go and spend money today. So how do you get that sort of balance between you know, spending in line with your values yeah. But making sure you're not shooting your future self and creating problems mm. down the line where, you know, you, you potentially, if you haven't got money, you haven't got security, if you get unhealthy or a you know, mm. family tragedy or all these sort of things can happen that can completely derail you. So where do you get that balance?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um and maybe we can come back to those other two rules later, but um, the uh, the way we do that is we teach people what we call, it's our method of, we call it money mapping. So every month we get people to sit down and really intentionally decide what they want their money to do for them that month. And that's all in reference to what they said they really wanted. So we're kind of, we're working backwards and reverse engineering the way they manage their money to what they want. And I guess this is where my background comes in. I'm like, I'm a coach. I spent the first 10 years of my professional career in elite sport. So You know, working with athletes, you really do get to understand the power um, of goal setting and really understanding how belief and compounding behaviours actually is what creates results. And so I guess that's what our angle is, is how do we help people compound their decisions, their small behaviours to get those bigger results over time. And part of that is every month making those really intentional decisions, doing it in a way that's it's not time intensive, it takes about 15 minutes. But by spending that 15 minutes, you don't have to worry for the rest of the month about what's going on with your money. You already know, mm. you already made those decisions. So now you can live your life. You don't have to just incessantly be stressing about where's my money going. That's the question, the, the sort of the, state, the sentiment we hear all the time for people. I just don't know where my money's going. I'm working so hard, but I don't know where my money's gone. I don't know what's happening with it. Mm. And I just feel stressed and I can't get rid of this stress and I'm, I'm struggling to sleep at night. Um, So it's making those really intentional decisions. But then the other part or the other side of the coin is then also getting feedback. So what actually happened? What was your intention? And then what was the result? Because it's -hmm. it's actually, it's the gap between those two that you course correct for over time in reference to your goal that actually is what gets you what you want. Because you are smart. Like people are really smart. Our brains are problem solving machines. As soon as you see a problem, you're going to try to solve it, right? So as soon as you start to shine a light on what you're actually doing with your money and whether that lines up with what you care about, Um, we don't tell anyone anything. We just show them the results. We just hold a mirror back up to them and say, this is what you said you wanted. This is what you said you were going to do this month. This is what you actually did. How does that line up with what you said you wanted? Um, And in actual fact, a lot of the times we're saying to people, we need you to spend a bit more money on the now because we know that if you don't, you're going to fall off this bandwagon in three or four months. Mm. Um, And so there's a question we ask at the end of every month for our members, and that is alignment versus fulfilment. So how aligned was your spending towards your longer term vision for your life? But how fulfilled were you with your money right now? Because we need you to spend in line with your values right now, because otherwise there's going to be this sort of trade-off in your mind where your mind starts to say, what am I giving up this time for now for a future that's fundamentally uncertain? It doesn't make any sense. So if you're not enjoying yourself on the way, you're not going to you're not going to get there unless you are the most dogmatic, obsessive person <laughs> um, <laughs> that, uh, you know, wants to publicize, you know, just <laughs> that nothing else matters, you know. And I think too many of us sort of lionize and, and sort of look up to those people, but really a lot of them, they get to, those, they get to their number and then they go into therapy
0: because
2: mm. they know <laughs> <laughs> that what they gave up wasn't worth it. Mm. They, fe- they realize that.
0: Sounds a bit like a sort of a fitness program slash diet, you know, Having a food diary and and allowing yourself little indulgences so that you don't actually completely fall off the wagon. But uh, on your website, you you say that you studied um, those that you consider to be both well-off and uh, well-regarded to codify your philosophy – you know, I'm keen to understand what your yardsticks or how how you've actually measured those two things, and, mm. and what do you see as those two things?
2: Yeah, well, the main one was what happens at the end of your life. So when you get to the end, or when you get to a place or a time where, you know, you're kind of 60 plus, you know, are you looking back on your life? Are, are you sort of do you have choices available to you now that um that that you're proud of, and are you, do you have those memories? Um, But also have you created, uh, I guess, like a a legacy um, of memories for yourself, for your loved ones, and even for others um, that that you can be proud of. So there are people, just like there are a couple of local business owners down here that um, became sort of mentors of ours. Um, There are things that we learnt from them about the way they sort of, yeah, the way they built their life, the way they spent their time along the way. Um, And they don't do everything right, but... um, you know, when you when you look at like a number of different people, and these are some of these people we've never met, some of these people we've read about. Um, so these are our kind of mentors at a distance, if you like. So guys like uh, really really appreciate what Ray Dalio's put out there in terms of his thinking around how to build companies and how to spend your time in your life. Um, really like some of what Peter Thiel puts out there. Um, trying to think of some others. Howard Marks is another one. Um, these guys are all kind of money type people, but they've got more to say than just you know, money, if that makes sense. They kind of think a bit bigger than money. And so we kind of look at those people um, and also people just, like I said before, local sort of people that we know in our lives, people that we look up to and respect um, just for who they've become along the way. So it's not so much what you have, it's who you are um, and how you take that with you, um, you know, later on. So you don't live with regret at, at, uh, you know, when you're, when you're older, basically.
1: That's our measure. So when you first shine that mirror, um, into someone's life i guess they've come to you and they don't know where all their money's going just earning this great money it's all going etc what are some of the common problems you think that the 21st century has created right um cashless society the afterpays the credit addiction what are some of the other sort of problems where you can really just easily get make easy fixes um, to their sort of way they're managing money and then you can start to really Look like they can achieve these goals because it's all about confidence, right? If they don't feel like they can ever achieve anything, then they won't ever strive for anything. So, what are some of the problems you you initially see? Yeah,
2: so the the big one that we see is um,
1: I think Veronica alluded to it
2: before, but um, I guess tying that number to to your self worth or where you're at, um, you don't get to use money effectively, and this is this is where I sat for a number of years where the number in my bank account told me something about you know how safe I was or how important I was and how or where I was at you know in terms of you know where I think I should be at um and that number like I was just obsessively saving just saving saving more money and thinking and thinking that you know when I get to a certain place then all these things going to change and it's the same mistake it's this whole like um success will get you happiness and actually it's happiness that will give you success get into a place where you're happy right now yeah. helps you think a lot clearer about money because otherwise what, what a lot of people tend to do is they rely and they lean on their feeling about money and let me tell you a lot of people's feeling about money is not a safe one <laughs> yeah. it's a it's a feeling that money is scarce um, money is yeah. something that's unreliable um, and it's hard it's hard to get it it's hard to keep it Um, all those feelings have absolutely no bearing in reality because money is an idea like the Australian government makes money with a stroke of a keypad. <laughs> you know, it's just an idea. But like we said before, money is, it's its almost like we've got it backwards. We act like money is scarce and time is abundant. But actually, it's the other way around. It's time that's scarce and money is abundant. And so, if you don't figure that part out, um, and the way you do that is exactly what I said before, get more intentional about how you're spending your money. Look at actually what you're doing with it, whether it aligns with your values.
0: It sounds like the "be do you have model. Have you heard of that?
2: Yeah. Are you familiar yeah. with
0: that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So is that something that you or do you want to explain or do you want me to explain? It? I've got to try to remember it, remember it exactly. But it's like most of us think when we have what we what we aspire to that we'll be the person that we want, yep. you know, and then we'll do the things that we want to do as opposed to deciding who we want to be and then acting as if effectively, you know, acting if. As a person that we want to be, and then we yep. do those things, and then fundamentally they lead to having and yep. you know so it 's a real it's it 's flipping that really really common approach to life on its head, so it sounds very much like that 's what you you 're proposing
2: absolutely yeah and that 's one hundred percent right, like and that 's the big secret i guess to to how to make this stuff stick so we 've had guys taught them this stuff, and years later they 're still coming back to us saying. I mean, just last week, we got a family up in Sydney um, and they've always wanted to kind of get their property and sort of, you know, establish themselves up there. And, um, you know, we taught them our methods and the system, the way we're doing these things with money mapping. And um, he sent me a text last week and said, yeah, we've been doing this religiously since that time. We've actually enjoyed ourselves the whole way and we just bought a property in DY, something we've always wanted to do. And um, the big thing here, particularly with couples, is you need to create an identity identity first because the identity is what informs your actions so there's a lot here around habit formation and you know when it comes to habit formation it's it's the accumulated evidence that you are the kind of person that does the kind of things that gets those results and yeah. so if you don't have a roadmap that helps you shift that identity in a really deliberate systematic kind of layered way it's very hard for you to become that person so yes you may dogmatically and sort of obsessively save for six months um, but that doesn't guarantee that you're going to become that person because it's all about willpower and your willpower right. is a muscle and it runs out. So you don't want to rely on willpower. What you want to rely on is automating the right behaviours and yep. making them simpler over time so that it just becomes the way you do things, not like something you have to do.
0: And it's that's sort of at, at the core of why, you know, these people that win money, win lotto, end up yep. spending it all because they fundamentally aren't in their own identity, a wealthy person or they are you know, isn't it? Then so they, they behave like they really are as opposed to sort of resetting who they really are. So yeah, scary, isn't it? <laughs>
2: Absolutely. And I think there's two parts to that, right? There's, yes, they don't have the identity. The second part of it is they don't feel worthy of the money. Mm. They don't feel like it's theirs. They feel like yep. they got it for free. And yep. so, um, you know, they use it that way. They don't respect money yeah Mm -hmm. it's not and because it's not respected it's not used the money then uses them
1: how do you relate this into you know expect you know you said in terms of did you get fulfillment let's say from your spending how do you sort of create fulfillment though through your mortgage repayment you know ultimately this is a (laughs) conversation i have with people and um, you know, I, I've, yeah. You know, when we go on holidays, right, I think experiences from traveling is without doubt the most memorable, right? I, I, that's it for me. Life is, if I couldn't go overseas again, I would be absolutely devastated. I think, you know, that's what gives me the biggest fulfillment, right? Whereas yep. Africa or India or these, you know, and, uh, and it's not where you spend the most money, it's just those real gritty experiences. But I also feel like the house and the home, the sanctuary and, you know, the family connection and the experiences within the home in terms of what you do as a family um, are so valuable as well. And so how do you sort of get people's head around taking on a big mortgage, not so much so they can just live in this area and say I live in this postcode sort of, but the value and actually the experience of the home and taking on a lot of debt, you know, having those conversations and making sure whether they're upgrading, you know, if they're going to go and take on a lot more debt, the experience they're going to get from that or the value from that. So how do you have those difficult conversations when someone's, I guess, apprehensive on sort of taking on a a big debt? Yeah, I guess we we just
2: go right back to the start and say, what was it, you know, in terms of that experience you're trying to create and how does this marry up? And sometimes it means it actually doesn't. And other times it means it does and we need to change A, B and C to make that actually happen. And so I think... (sighs) These are really, You're right, these are really tough conversations and, and ultimately people have to decide for themselves but really just trying to bring them back to that kind of North Star that they created at the start and see how this aligns um, mm-hmm. and when, when whether the changes that are required um, are worth it for them because there is a price to pay um, yep. and it's a quite a hefty price. And so, you've got to ask yourself, is this price worth it? Is the value of this purchase worth that price?
1: Yeah. Um, it's also not just on a money side. Like We're seeing lots of people having to compromise location and... Uh-huh they're having to go uh, and it's it's also a question how much does that home mean to you right like we've got people leaving their friends their family there's community creating big commutes moving to an area they don't know anybody um just to own a house and you know just have a backyard and yeah you know it's sometimes people don't really think that through enough or they should be right and the house matters too much and so it's it can goes both ways right like what is you know if you haven't thought about what you really want from that house and that community um, yeah, it can all backfire on you as well.
2: Yeah, this is what I love about you guys as a property podcast and the way you talk about it. You talk very honestly about those decisions. I think it's so much easier for you to keep selling that dream and have people mm. keep buying into that dream. And um, that's what I really appreciate about this conversation, the conversations you've been having for the last couple of years, is you're really talking openly about that. And I think that is critical because it's not in someone's best interest a lot of the time to buy into that Australian dream if it costs them all those things that actually do matter to them. Um, and so having that conversation, really, yeah, it's just, it's very, it's, and it's almost like this kind of outer, there's like this battle between status and wealth, right? You could be wealthier sometimes by not making that decision because you can have all those other things that really matter to you. Um, mm. But in terms of, you know, the story you're trying to tell the world, the image you're trying to create, Yes, go and live 60K and you're going to be able to tell that story. Is the story worth it? And do you need to actually make the decision to know that or can you just go back and be honest with yourself about what really matters to you? Um, yeah, they're not easy conversations, but I guess, you know, our job is to really just hold that mirror back up to someone yeah. and say, this is who you are, this is what you care about, This are your values, how does this marry up with these values? Um, and people, you know... People don't do that for themselves and that's how we kind of, that's the role that we play.
0: So I know in my business we deal with a lot of couples and, and half of what we do is property therapy. We call it property therapy. It's a bit of a um a bit of a half joke, but it's sort of half serious, right? And we get our clients to fill in wish lists for the property itself um mm. separately. And the we've been doing that for years and, and the reason a couple of reasons. One is that um both need to be heard. And both will all um each will have their own sort of unique take on certain things, but also what we realise is that the longer people actually slog this out and fight over it, and quite often this can go for years, where if they're not in agreement and in alignment, mm. it's like the Venn diagram, right? That little yeah. overlapping bit in the middle gets smaller and smaller. But what yeah. we often find when we get them separately to write down their wish lists, when you put them back over each other, the, you know, the, the overlapping part is actually usually quite big. And the, the bits that are different are small, but they have focused all their attention on the bits that are different.
1: Mm. yeah yeah and no. so that
0: that's a real problem with a property search. And I would imagine it's a bit the same with money and your attitude towards money and your goals and dreams and your beliefs now about money, your beliefs in the future about money, you know all of that would have to be teased out and and brought out, but it's not something that we typically want to talk about in this country, is it?
2: Yeah, well, it's interesting. um I, I feel like the younger generations are more and more open to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely a conversation that, uh, you know, our, my generation, uh, it seems like more and more people, particularly really forward-focused, really conscious sort of couples that, you know, they've come together for a reason and they don't, they don't want to just sort of survive and get through their life. They're trying to uh, trying to get the most out of it. They're trying to squeeze every little bit of juice out of it. They're willing to have this conversation if it helps them um, along that way. Um, but, but you're 100% right. Like, there are there are some very distinct differences at times, and it's very easy to kind of focus on that. But um, and I like your idea too around having people like create separate lists and bring them together. But one thing we've found that always overlaps, and no one ever disagrees on, is what it all means. So yeah. you can talk about you can talk about I want this kind of house, I want that, I want to travel this month. You can talk about all these kind of material world things. But then when you ask this next question, everyone always agrees on, basically the answers to this question. So you ask this question: What would that do for you? If you're able to live this life, what would that do for you? and usually the things that have come up will be I'm really satisfied I'm content um, you know I'm proud of what we've been able to accomplish yeah. um, blow up. and they're going to be talking more about an emotional experience thereafter because money is not the thing we want it's the things that money can do for mm. us that we want what and usually it's the state change that we're looking after and we find that couples never disagree on any of those things at the state change and so when we talk about a north star that's always what we're referring back to the material world stuff can and will change because it's a result of your values and your life changes and your values Changes as a result of your life changes. So, we find that people come into our program, they set all these goals, and sometimes they're really materialistic goals. And that's not right or wrong, but they change over time. Um, There's a lady on our podcast, Gab, one of our first members, and she came in, she wanted a Porsche Cayenne. Um, And then, after about six months, she said, Oh, I'll downgrade that to an Audi this. Um, And then she downgraded to something else. And then She just wasn't funding the goal. And she was like, I haven't funded that for two years. And we're like, what does that tell you, Gab? Do you actually care about that thing? She's like, no, I need to change the goal. I'm like, good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so, So I guess the point that I'm making is like alignment's always there, but you need to get below... The surface level of thinking, you need to actually understand the emotional experience those people are after because when people do get together, they are in agreement and alignment totally on that emotional experience. And people need to understand that there are a myriad of ways to be able to accomplish and achieve that experience. And so much of it is available to them way sooner than they think. If the goal is always like this far off thing they've got to fund for the next 15 years, there's so much of that's available to them right now. Um, just the way you're using your money. If you're really intentional about how you're spending it now, you can get
1: all that. And are you finding those through your experiences where one couple's more keen to engage um, and then maybe they've got a bit more willpower, let's say, to push on through? The other one um, starts to self-sabotage a little bit, not in a maybe a conscious way, but just unconsciously. Um, and then they start to fall off the program and then you sort of, got to get them reignited it's definitely happens with a property search right um mm. someone will do the searching and mm. it's you know and they're on their domain pressing refresh the other one's taking you know they sort of like you know you do the washing i'll do the the cleaning sort of thing you're doing the searching i'm sort of uh, i'll manage the money or something right um yeah yeah and it's that willpower friends and then they start battling on properties and then they give up for example um how does how do you sort of manage that, you know, getting them really, you know, both mo- motivated and on the same journey? Yeah, that's a great question too. Um
2: this is where I think that's probably two parts to this question and all the answer to this question I think a big part of it is having that initial conversation around you know, you've got to get people to connect emotionally with the goal first, the big the bigger picture, like is this is this whole thing worth it for you? Um so there's kind of two parts to goals that people Need They need something to that pulls them toward it and they need something that pushes them away from it towards the thing they want, if you know what I mean. So this is where the away from part of goal setting really matters. And, and so really when we're starting to do this stuff and, and talk about clarity, the first part of our program, um, we, we hit both those sides. So we, we, we really articulate and design what does this look like for you guys, but also what are you running from? And most people can't consciously articulate this for themselves. They need it facilitated. Yeah. And so we're asking them questions like, well, how committed are you to do this? Because there is a price for this. You want all that. You want, you're also going to have to pay the price to do it. There's going to be decisions you have to make. Sometimes you're going to have to make trade-offs. You're going to have to make them together. Are you willing to do that? And people will say yes if you're just them that question. Um, and they'll lie <laughs> to themselves. Um, <laughs> yeah. But... but um you really need to help people understand what it is they're both running or what they don't want. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite critical to have them actually pull out those language patterns that are happening subconsciously and then play it back to them so that when they're getting yep. into, in through the process and you start to see them dip off, you say, hey, this is what this is about. You said that your window was closing. You feel like your time was running out and you're not making the most of the situation you're in right now. This is how we get through that. So let's get through it. That's um, just keeping people honest.
0: It's very interesting, your money therapy is what you do, you're doing <laughs> in a way we do property therapy, but uh, people come along with baggage, you know, yeah. and when you say what well, what are you running from?" um yeah. I guess I would suggest that you know we all grew up in a in a in an environment, whether it be a family or otherwise, and we learnt things. Uh, unconsciously and often have these beliefs that we go through lives often completely unchallenged, yeah. and I guess this is this is when you say you throw up a mirror. I mean, this is really about. Um, you got to be able to challenge those deep-set beliefs and even yep. see them and recognise them first to see yep. if they're standing in your way or not. And let's face it, you know, we have these unconscious beliefs, all of us do, and whether they're examined or not, and they frame the way we approach things. So how do you get people to start to uncover that stuff, the baggage, effectively, That's yeah. going to be... They've got to climb all over that before they can start, really. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, so... Like, one thing we've found is, um, like, how you feel about money dictates what you do with it.
0: Mm. And
2: so, you've got to change the way that f- you feel about it first. And that's why we focus so much attention on um, helping you collect the evidence that you can make good decisions with money. That's why we focus your attention and, and train you in the practice of money mapping. Because every month, you're making those conscious decisions. You're taking the feeling of money from the, the limbic part of your brain into the thinking part of your brain. And you need accumulated evidence that that can be the case. And you need a number of examples or experiences Mm. um, that you can sort of look to and say last month we had a conversation about money most of it went well some of it didn't go well and then the next month we had a good conversation about money actually we managed it quite well together and then the next month we have an even better conversation about money and so you keep doing that it's actually acting your way into a new way of thinking not thinking your way into a new way of acting so (laughs) like you need you need to be able to expose yourself to this in a safe way and that's where tools really help so we don't just say go out for dinner and talk about money that's That's never going to (laughs) work. You need to give someone a tool that facilitates the conversation and a way to think through it together that is not one person's way or the others. It sort of sits in the middle. So that's, you know, we talk about money mapping. We don't just say, this is how you do it. We give you the tool that runs you through it. So you don't have to debate how it's done. You just work through it together and it facilitates the conversation. And what we find is after sort of three six, nine months. Um, the person who you kind of talked about before, Chris, the person who wasn't into it is now starting to see progress and progress mm-hmm. is the number one motivator. And so we've got couples that come in. There's always the person who's more engaged and the person who drags the other person in. Yeah. Um, if we do a good job in that goal setting part of it, we can get both people kind of excited. Um, we drag people through by sort of coming back to the things they're running away from. But the sooner we can get wins on the board for these people... Um, the faster they kind of go, hang on, this is actually good. This is really getting us what we want. Mm -hmm. And the person who was kind of holding back often becomes the person who's really driving the process. And I know that yeah. sounds bizarre, but it's, it is the case of behaviour change when you can keep collecting that evidence, you've got that progress, you know that you're making gains. And we're just kind of playing it back to people saying, you guys were here, you're now here. Yeah. And so we're reviewing this all the time. And that's the gap that most people don't have. These yeah. set and forget prescription systems do that- do that for you. You just, you know, you kind, of, you kind of set your prescriptions and then you just hope that things are kind of working out. Yeah. You're not managing your money. You've outsourced the management of your money to a prescription and that doesn't change your feeling about it. You're always going to feel like you don't have enough.
1: Yeah, what <laughs> I like about this is it's kind of uh, – Veronica's question is so true because it's all around your money story, right? Like, and your story doesn't have to stay that. You can change your story if you start to do what you're talking about, Terry, and sets great goals, really understand. You do need to deal with these sort of beliefs you've got, right? Like, what was your – how did your mum and dad um, deal with money? You know, how did your grandparents deal with money? How were you made to feel about money? How did you act yep. when you had money and all these sort of things? I think it's really powerful for people to start to dig up and think, well, that's is that really serving my interest? Right, H- holding on to these behaviours or what they did. Um, people obviously do the opposite. You know, if they had lots of money, they want to spend it. You know, or if they had none, they want to keep it, um, etc. And so. But you're right. I think you're totally right with managing money. I think people just think, oh, well, if I put a system in place and that'll do it, but you're not changing that behaviors. You're not changing those beliefs. You're not rewriting your money story. And I think that's the problem with, you know, things like the barefoot, right? I, you know, they've been great. He sold a million books, but it's all about selling the the system Rather than stealing, you know, it, well, the goal setting, really understanding what you really want out of life, and changing your money story, and and so, is that the most powerful thing about what you think you're doing? Is constantly changing and updating people's money story?
2: Yeah, it is. It's um, it's the compounding behaviour that sort of sets the stage for compounding in money, basically, <laughs> because if you you've got to get the first thing right to be able to make the second thing work, because, you know, there's no informational advantage now when it comes to money. It's all behavioural advantage. And you guys, mm. are, you guys are know this. Are you able to stick to your plan to be able long enough for compounding to take effect? Um, so if you're not managing the first part of that equation, then who cares about the second part? You know, you're always going to be zigging and zagging. You'll just be like a yo-yo dieter, looking for the next big thing. Um, you'll never be able to get, a, a sort of, make the most of, of your efforts. And people like this are working really hard. They're just not seeing any rewards for it. And so they start to tell themselves these other stories, like, you know, this whole thing's a scam. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm just not a money person yeah yeah yeah. and that's because they don't have the evidence that i'm talking about so you Mm -hmm. really do have to be systematic and deliberate about how you collect that evidence and um and if you're not it gets really tough
0: there's also structures you can put in place like i guess effectively a mortgage is a way to manage your money because it's as long as you choose a good asset you know so and this is the problem people are just getting buying their first home and that's That's the goal and it's like but it has to be beyond that. You have to have lift your eyes and look way beyond the first property down the horizon which is what, you know, we're really focused on in your your first home buyer guide is getting it right so that you do have a horizon as opposed to your first rung on the ladder is not much higher than the the bottom, the ground and that's it. You can't (laughs) fix the next one. Um, But also, you know, this idea around um, you have to... It, like in shares, for instance, the share market. There's been I mean, studies about people who check their balance every day are more likely to tinker with it and stuff it up, you know, as opposed to yeah. just set and forget, and 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 maybe review every six months or so um, yep. in terms of the strategy. But but get your fingers out of the pot, you know, like stop stop triggering your, or giving yourself information that's likely to trigger you to make reactive knee-jerk, you know, reactive decisions. Um, and, you know, there have been studies that people that check, you know, less often actually make more money. <laughs> yes.
1: <love>
2: yeah. <laughs> and you see all the stuff from Vanguard where it's like um, people's investments are the same investments in their super, which they're apathetic and they don't yeah. think about at all versus outside of super, the same investments and the differences over time. And yeah. It's just, it's just like chalk and cheese. It's, it's amazing. Um, so, yeah, no, you're we, right.
0: You're talking about. Are you talking about there that with super you don't think it's your money, and so therefore you're more apathetic with it and less active, or and is that good active or bad active? Because often active investors can actually do more damage than good, right?
2: That's right. Yeah. So it's the same investment, but they keep playing with it outside of super Mm -hmm. because they see it as their thing. Whereas inside super, and this is more in America than the states, but like in that retirement account, they just
1: they just forget about it and they Mm. do better. (laughs) So it's uh, it's hilarious. Exactly urgency for people to take action um how do you sort of create that I mean they obviously come to you and they're already at that sort of wanting to take action but you know I feel like a lot of people just you know they delay their decisions because they feel like they've always got time up their sleeve and you know one of the things I used to do when I was a planner I used to say okay so you're 40 um you're gonna you know want to retire at 60 okay well you've got 240 pay slips to go because um, it's monthly and they go oh actually every month I'm wasting the opportunity so how, what, how are those some of the ways you really kind of create urgency in that people actually, you know, make sure they do what they want to do in the time frame that they want to do it rather than, you know, half us doing it?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. And to be honest, we um we don't. Um. so the people that come to us are already people that have come to that conclusion for themselves. So we're just trying to harness their energy as opposed to create it. But having said that, there are people that are sort of like on the fence and it's exactly like what you've said. You just need to surface the costs of inaction. Um, and you can do that a number of different ways. And so I guess, I guess you know, the podcast is a good... That's probably our, our mechanism for that, is just continually kind of talking about the costs of inaction and educating people to get to that place. That's really the biggest thing. Because like, unless and until you come to that realisation for yourself, you're not going to do what's required. Um, So, we would rather harness that energy that's coming to us um, Mm. than than try to create it. Because we just know the people that are our success stories are the ones that are like, this has clicked for me. It's now the right time. And this is going to be a project in our life for the next three to six months. We're going to get on top of this. We're going to nail it. And we're going to commit to that process.
0: theelephantintheroom.com.au. I know a lot of people that might be thinking who haven't necessarily made good decisions younger and maybe sort of at that point where they're thinking, I want to make sure I've got a little bit more under my belt before I actually go and get help, you know, Mm. because I'm embarrassed. I'm I'm, I'm shamed because I haven't done that or I didn't work it out or I didn't realise or, you know, I got bad advice and I bought a brand new...
1: (laughs) Something
0: mm. brand new that lost me money, or you know, mm. I'm I'm way behind the eight ball, and that's pretty horrible too, because that once again feeds into money beliefs. Um, you know, do you have people coming to you that have actually that's been an issue for them, and they finally give up and they say, right, oh, I'm never going to get there on my own anyway, so I just let's just get stuck
2: into it. Yeah, I think that's such an important, like just that point that you made there in terms of where, the, what's going on, the dialogue in people's minds. Mm. Um, and this is, you know, obviously Ryan's my business partner and he's the, more the, sort of the, the technical guy. He, he was my financial advisor. We decided to team up and create this business more around the behaviour and sort of making sure that people have, um, you know, put all this stuff into place for themselves. Mm. And um, I know for myself, I had in my head a number that I thought was rich, Mm. And then when I got to rich, then I was going to go get help with my money. And when I understood Mm. the cost of that thinking...
0: (laughs) That's a classic, isn't it? It's like, I need help with my money if I've got enough of it. But how the hell are you going to get enough of
2: it? It's so backwards, right? I'm like, what the hell? So, like, imagine if... I always say this. Like, imagine if Michael Jordan thought that way, where he's like, you know what? I want to become the greatest basketball player of all time. So I'm going to practice, prepare, and play alone until I become the greatest. Then everyone's going to look at how great I am and I'll be the best. No, he, he didn't do that. He worked with experts to become the best. He didn't become the best and then work with experts. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you got, you, it's it's. when I realized what the mistake was, I, kind of, I did, I slapped myself. I was like, this is ridiculous. And you know <laughs> what it is? It's putting status before success. I'm putting what other people will think of me before what I actually want. I'm actually prioritizing mm. the illusion or the image I'm trying to create over what I actually want. And that is always going to keep you hamstrung. And I'm, tell- I'm saying that with someone who's had that same sickness.
1: Yeah. yeah. Terry, do you consider yourself as part of the fire movement or do you see yourself different to that?
2: Yeah, it's an interesting one. We're sort of, we're associated, but I wouldn't, there's a lot, there's a lot, we agree with, and there's a lot we disagree with, honestly. Um, yeah, we, like we think that being more and like taking control of your money and, and sort of taking responsibility is fantastic. And really trying to focus on using money as a way to become more self-reliant, fantastic. The way that's done, some of that we really don't agree with. Um, the way people kind of obsess around net worth, for example... I, I really think that hurts a lot of people. Net worth is such a dirty metric for me. Um, we know a lot of people with a lot of net worth that aren't freer from their money they're actually yeah. more they're, they're living harder lives because of it they're living more stressful lives because of it yeah. There are better metrics than the net worth um, so you know I would say, yeah just associate it, but we don't see ourselves as um, like I don't think we're you know, I think a lot of these people are just like they're making their lives smaller. Um, and it's, it's, it's almost like it's a fixed mindset. Like how I am is how I'm always going to be. Yeah. And yeah. I can't grow. And so what I'm going to do is try to just squeeze more blood out of this stone, make my life smaller and smaller and smaller until I hit my number and then I'll be happy. Mm. We, we really don't agree with that mm. um, because it's, it's trading today's time for tomorrow's money. And tomorrow's money is not worth what today's money is because you, you can do a lot more with your money now than you can do in fifty years, right? Like you mm. can, you can, split, you can ski the black run ten times, twelve times, fifteen times in a day right now. When you're thirty, when you're sixty, you'll be lucky like, to do it once. <laughs> but you're going to be able, to, but you're going to have to pay the same money to do it, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so your money can buy you a lot more now. So, like, let's just put things in their place, basically. Mm. Like, let's let's use money. Let's not be used by it. So I think there's so much that it gets right, um, but people. When you get obsessive, when you get dogmatic um, and you get sort of uh, – it's, it's, all, it's almost – well, you, you stop thinking. You just stop thinking. You just start following these rules and you're not thinking for yourself. And I guess that's where we we <coughs> d- depart a little bit.
0: I Isn't mean, that you- what people want, though? They just – you know, I, I, I've got to – I don't know, as COVID gets – longer in the tooth as I get longer in the tooth as I observe more and more people, it does appear to me that that a majority of people do prefer to be spoon-fed than actually think for themselves. And it's funny, I'm actually doing this sort of... Um, uh, UNSW University of New South Wales short course on leadership at the moment, and and it's actually going into um, a lot of philosophy and also a lot of behavioural um, science. Great. And interestingly enough, because of course the premise of this podcast is that our emotional, um, our you know the elephant is the metaphor for our emotional mind, and it drives more of our decisions than our rational mind. Ah, oh, I never
2: understood that. I love that.
0: Yeah, and so one of, and so our very first episode, for anyone who hasn't gone back to the first episode and listened to our interview with Simon Russell, he's a behavioural scientist, and he went off to an an auction and saw all these these behavioural biases being played out, right? And that was so interesting, you know, and that sort of set us on this whole path. And so we're really interested in, in how we're being influenced in ways that we are unaware of, you know, and for those of us who want to rise to the challenge and be more aware and actually be more mindful and more purposeful, that's great, but, you know... Spruikers thrive because people like being spoon-fed. You know, mm. not because they want to make good decisions. And yeah. so, I was one of the, the lectures in this this short course I'm doing was this um, psychology professor who was talking about, he doesn't subscribe, it's a bit of a movement that doesn't subscribe to this this idea of all these cognitive biases, that they're basically saying no, humans are adaptive creatures and we don't need to succumb to this. And I'm like but hang on a minute, <laughs> that's if we choose to, potentially we could be but most of us are w- almost willfully mm. not nah. choosing. We're actually deciding nah. not to choose. Nah. And and this is becoming more and more evident, you know, as in our politics and everything. So, I uh, I don't know why I started down this path. <laughs>
2: this no, it's right though. It's right though. Like when, when things are uncertain, people cling to certainty. So if you, mm. give them, if you give them like a prescription, they'll be like, yes, thank God, oh, I can stop talking, solution. I can stop thinking now. Yeah. I don't have to think for myself, you know. And so what I find funny, like coming back to that fire question, like it's another rat race. You just got into a different rat race. Mm. It's, just, it's just another one. <laughs> yeah. So it's sort of like along the way, it's, it's the same thinking mistake.
0: We did we did interview Firebug Matt um, a few weeks back or yeah he's awesome back.
2: I love Matt it was a yeah.
0: delightful interview really really enjoyed um, you know talking to him and but I did part of me is underneath wondering how many absolute zealots are in there that would be a nightmare to deal with <laughs> you know, yeah
2: yeah well I think a lot of people cling to Matt's story. Um, but, you know, the more you talk to Matt and we've had him on as well and um, he's an awesome guy and he has been very intentional with his mm. decisions. Mm. And yeah. so I think it's a lot about the way people interpret it and whether they just follow. Mm. And it, it's really not what he's – it's not what he's really desired to create. He has no yeah. – he's not invested in any outcome. You know what yeah. I mean? So that's what I really like about him. He's like, I'm just on my journey. I've made mistakes. Here are a couple of these mistakes. Um, but people just – they want to cling to – it's a religion. A yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah.
0: let's face it, religion is a way to control people and <laughs> yeah. it's a man made construct, everybody. There ain't no God.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that one of the challenges I see with it is that uh, it's all about sort of creating this sort of passive income and this solution. If I have this sort of financial security, I'm gonna be happy. And a lot of people who are younger, right? They're in their sort of twenties, etc. And they're not focusing on investing in those things you spoke. You know, the experiences, getting your time, your relationships, all these other facets, they're focused so much on that number and, you know, letting forgetting about today and just focusing so much on tomorrow. And that's, I think, what the big, the FI community always encourages, right? It's always encouraged mm-hmm. around don't spend, save, invest. Don't spend, yeah. save, invest. And, um, yeah. you know, your po- podcast is called the passive income project, which I really recommend all our listeners go listen to. I think it's a it's a very sort of you know thought through sort of uh, trading change podcast which I think is important. But why did you call it the passive income project when you know it is sort of linked to that sort of fire movement. Is there a reason why you, you, you think that's that's important?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> to be honest. We um we were just thinking about at the time what is it that people want? Um, and what will, what will they be searching for? Um, so I guess we kind of, we just thought, well, that's what people want, um, but what do they need? We'll give them what they need, <laughs> Right. Um, if, yeah. if that makes sense. So um, I don't know, like it wasn't very, it wasn't a super, like we were just kind of starting, we were just kind of figuring it out Yeah. And, um, <laughs> thinking through what our hooks are. Like if I was to name it again today, I'd probably name it differently. But having said that, so many people come across our podcast because they search for passive income Mm.
1: and then it helps them along the way. It's a good point, right? Like Mm. you say you're coming for, and this is what Veronica was talking about with the spookers, right? Um, And a lot of people in finance do this. They say, "Oh, you only need $100,000 a year to retire, right? That's the hook. Um, Because everyone's got that random number in their their head. It's like how much Mm. you need to to retire? A million dollars. Well, how do you live your life? And it's all these other questions, right? Do you even need mm-hmm. 100? You need do you 150? Can you survive on 50, et cetera? Um, but then when they get there, they go, you actually you know what? What I really want to live is a fulfilling life. And, you know, maybe that's, I don't need a passive income. Maybe I can pursue a better career, et cetera. And you start opening up all these other doors. And so I think you're right, actually. It gets people in and then you can start to direct them into what they really want in life. Maybe it isn't a passive income. It's, you know, meaningful experiences, et cetera. Yeah,
0: Continue. that's right. You just – yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It's funny. It's just that when I saw the name of it, I thought, like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. No, there's a bit of that. Like um – um yeah, I don't know, like if we would name it the same now, but like having, like I said, there's a, there are a subset of people that come through, they search for it, and then they are explorers, and they do sort of dig into it, they mm. do start to think for themselves, and then those people, they'll come through to us, we'll do work with them, and we'll make great change. Um, so there's part of me that kind of thinks exactly what you think now, Ronnie. which is like, oh, have a look at this name, it's a real mercenary name, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it also helps us reach people. Do
1: you it's know like, how same as how positive are- cash flow, right? Pop- properties, you know, like mm. people want yeah. to buy positive cash flow is because they don't want to work hard and actually don't. They just want to... as long as it's positive. That's all that matters, mm. right? And mm. um, it's because I want my let my I want the property to make my life easier. Well, it's not going to mm. do that unless it grows long term for mm. you, you know. Mm. And mm. so it's like the property is a solution to make my life easier. Well, no, not now. In the future, yes. Um, and it's another thing what sprukers play on, right? It's the positive. You know, same as a passive income. It's sort of that positive cash flow. Yeah. Mm. They
0: they mm. say, uh, you know, but it what a, for the price of a cup of coffee a day, you too could be a property investor. And it's yeah. not costing you anything. What do you mean yeah. it's not costing me anything? Yeah. <laughs> how are you measuring yeah. cost?
2: Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. How
0: how I got into real estate, I'm not sure I've ever told this story on the podcast before, but I I was in, oh, you know, had a varied career doing a number of different things and um I'd had a failed business and I needed to um, find a job where I could actually earn some good money and pay off my business debts, right? So, I had been interested in property for a long time and I started sort of just putting the feelers out and looking around and and I came across (laughs) this um, uh, an agency in Balmain who I didn't work for but... um, they were advertising for staff that didn't have a real estate background. They they specifically wanted people that did not have a real estate background. I thought, well, this is interesting. So I called up and I got some information. They, they pointed me to this website. Called, I think it was called ethicsinrealestate.com.au. Um, and it's the Genman system, right? And I would, we have reached out to interview Neil Gemman and still like to do so. But, and I started reading this manifesto and Ethics in Real Estate, absolutely. That's what I subscribe to. That's what I want to be part of. You bet, you got me, sign me up, you know, whatever. Start reading this this, uh, this manifesto. And I sort of got about, I don't know, about halfway through it. And it was all about how bad auctions were and how, you know, just the, the whole Gemin um thesis there. And about, yeah, about third, halfway, two-thirds of the way through, I suddenly started thinking, if I'm a salesperson, I need to have more than one string to my bow. I need to actually be able to recommend a solution that is appropriate in every, every circumstance. You know, this is me with no real estate experience at the time, but I did have sales experience, and I thought... I'm going to be pretty limited if I can only recommend one thing. Likewise, I wouldn't want to go to work for an agency that only told me I was allowed to sell auctions for everybody. You know, it's like it's, you know, but if you've only got a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Is that that the... uh, And so I actually cancelled my interview and didn't go forward with it went looking for another agency and the rest is history but it was that got me in the whole idea ethics in real estate Mm. and i actually thought that wasn't ethical to only offer one solution Mm. like you know and it's sort of damning um the entire industry to say everyone's a crook you know and Mm. and and it taps into certainly a lot of beliefs people still hold about real estate agents for good reason um but, yeah, so there you go. So I guess I'm an example of...
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you think like you're, you've got different levels of awareness, right? And I was just thinking back to like what my level of awareness was at the start and how educated I was and what I didn't know. Mm. And everyone understands passive income or at least the concept of it. Um, so it's kind it of just... Sounds yeah, good.
0: Well, yeah. <laughs> <It> sounds great.
2: <laughs> uh, but but it also when I got educated and, and just really understanding investing in the markets and that kind of thing, I was like, yeah, yeah so... Actually, you invest for income because it's income you live off. Um, Income is what's going to power your life.
1: Mm. And so,
2: um, yeah, I just, yeah, it's it's just you've got to, I guess, give people what they want, where they're at, where they're at, meet them where they're at.
1: Have you got a property dumbo for us, Terry?
2: Yes. So, you guys might be able to help me here. So... um,
0: (laughs) Is there is there a personal story behind this? Maybe <laughs> yeah, there
2: could be a personal story. <laughs> yes, yeah, so in my property education, um, I don't know if it will fit though. So you, I'll just tell That's you right, Just try it. With any,
1: any dumbo's a good dumbo, mate. Yeah. So, um,
2: I think um, my brothers and I we had a uh, we had like a um, self managed super fun and um, we no was it that no we had we had two things we had a um, uh, we had a like a like a syndicate. Um, and we bought a property in uh, Newman, WA, oh,
0: um, at, the high, Newman.
2: <laughs> at the height of them.
0: The, oh, <laughs> no. And um,
2: this was like walking into the casino, putting it all on black, it, it went on oh. black and we were like, how fucking good are we? Um, <laughs> and um, so this thing was cash flowing large. And um, so we took that and then we were like, okay, cool let's get some blue chip property in Melbourne. Um, and we did an okay job of that, I would say. Um, not great, but like we bought um, we bought a, 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 a land block and a house in Footscray in a quite a good spot. Oh. Um, and this is like one of the biggest regrets. Um, huge block, could have been subdivided, probably could have put two, maybe even three properties on it. Big block, just like one of the ones that you would knock down. Now, this is probably the start of my real education I would say um and then the other one so my brother he was a mortgage broker and he he kind of had this other one that was off the plan and um I was and I was like all right so it's got a view of the city or whatever um and that was in Ken- Kensington this is that's the depth of my thinking um and um this is what's interesting is like when you have multiple people involved in the decision how your mm. kind of things change and I guess that's the lesson here but um we had those two properties, and as in
0: you had them, you bought them. We had them as options to purchase.
2: No, we bought them. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we yep. had, so we had the one in Newman,
0: mm-hmm. and then
2: we we're like, we're property investing geniuses. Um, <laughs> 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 we're gonna take, we're gonna take this genius, or we're gonna apply, apply it elsewhere. Um, so we bought this place in uh, Footscray, and Which sounds um, like a pretty
1: good one, right? You flipped. This completely. was a,
2: mate, mate. This was a ripper. But Absolute there's a regret
1: ripper. coming. I
0: can there's hear There's a it. huge regret <laughs> coming.
2: This was a ripper. Um, and then we had this place in Kensington and this thing turned out to be a dog um, and it was because it was off the plan and, it was, you know, there's a glut of those apartments and it was right near some of those commission flats as well. Just like, it's just shocking decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, anyway, so Newman starts to go off a cliff and we go from accepting $1,500 a week in rent or somewhere around that for a three-bedroom weatherboard property. Um, And um, we go from that to literally $350 a week. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, And um, And so so this thing...
0: That's your income from it. What about the value (laughs) of (laughs) it?
2: Yeah, yeah. So... That's coming too.
0: Um,
2: And so then um, we're like, oh, okay, so we've got to free up some cash or whatever. We're going to sell one of these properties. Which one do you reckon we sell?
0: I know. You sold Footscray. (laughs) Footscray. (laughs) The the golden (laughs) goose, the one that could have done the job.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, and having said this, I was vehemently opposed to selling Footscray, but I was also outvoted. Yeah. Um, and so, my mortgage broker brother, who was a real estate expert, said, "We'll keep Kensington and, uh, so Kensington proceeded to lose if we i haven't I, I purposely have not done the math on this, yeah, but, um, but but if I did, he would say, Oh, it stayed the same. it didn't stay the same. If we account for inflation, we lost a shitload of money mm. um, and um so." Yeah, so the, the Dumbo. <laughs> how's,
0: how's your relationship with your brother, by the way? That's <laughs> <laughs> fine.
2: It's fine. It's fine. We were – and this was probably – you know, what was good about this was we didn't – when we put this syndicate in, it was mainly – it was my brothers and my dad, and we put – we had a, a trust together. Um, and my dad was a lot more exposed than we were. So, it was kind of my first foray into property. Mm. I put in an amount of money where I lost it. I was like, okay, I know who I am now with regards to real estate. I know who mm. I'm not. Mm. Um, and – um and allow me to get that education. I also knew that like when you're tied up, and I guess that's a big lesson, when you tie up your decisions with others, you really have to make sure that you are aligned in every mm. aspect along oh, the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because what happened after that um, is we went into property development, we made actually quite good money. Um, and, and, you know, obviously we were further inside and we, were, you know, we had those contacts and, um, and mm. we probably we made probably the majority of that money back um, yeah. quite quickly. Um, but I also recognised we took on... Quite a big amount of risk mm. when we did that. Yeah. As I was getting, as I was getting edu- educated, mm. and um, and I sort of realised, like, hang on, like, okay, we've we managed to kind of come out even here. I'm going to step out of this game, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and because I know now who I am and who I'm not with regards to this, um, and particularly where we're exposed. So that second time we did it, we were doing it through super. and I'm like, this is not what super's for. Mm. Um, so. Yeah, so the dumbo there is, you know, going in with a bunch of different people with different ideas, different objectives um, and then sort of, um, you know, ass- assuming that your big cash-flowing property in a speculative area is going to be like that forever and then making decisions mm-hmm. based off that. Um, that's a big dumbo. Yeah.
1: That's probably – yeah.
0: I think that's the best one we've had because you've got something of everything in that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So many lessons yeah. that you've yeah. just stepped out uh, in. That I mean, it was a good end
1: to the story, though. I mean, you did say that mm. you sort of made it back with the development, etc. But a lot of people don't get that opportunity. Um, no, no, they don't. They, no. so, you know, and maybe it wasn't. There was three Dumbo, right? Potentially, you know, you sold your quality one, which we see all the time. Um, you know, people selling out of a quality asset um, because they want to pay off their home loan, or they, you know, want to spend. or They're worried about something, right? Um, mm mining towns we've seen that i remember client you know all the way back in 2012 13 um they had a place in port edland and had another one somewhere on the like near broom somewhere um that one had smashed it they bought it like really early in the mining boom and it gone up a lot and even if it did fall it was going off such a low base that uh, and that was funding their other decision and they went they bought at the top of the market one up in port headland um And they were coming to me and they'd already sort of bought it and I was like, uh, they want to finance it. I was like, I think this is a really horrible decision. I can see this going really bad. And they defied us and they said, no, um, we're committed to this. We'll pay off the mortgage within three years or something. That's how much this positive cash flow was. Um, A year later, the thing had dropped 80%. They'd wiped out all their gains. They wiped out all their gains in the other property. The husband was in a uh, mining job. He was like, Mm. Not actually, in the mines, but working in the dwar- in the wharfs, um, there was a relationship breakdown. It was all sorts of really bad things happened, and it was like that one decision, like cascade events, and there's no chance to bring all that back, right? And so, mm. that's why I, my, one of those things I'm passionate about making good decisions is because I've seen these decisions. Like that's in 2013. Yeah. Imagine all the other ones I've seen over the last eight years. Same yes. as you, Monica. Um, mm. Yeah, and we just see the way things go wrong and we could see what's the car that's going to hit people, I guess, in in the Mm. future. And um, hopefully, So
2: what do you you think, a question back for you there, Chris, why do you think people don't listen to you? Like that guy, why is he not listening?
1: Uh, I think think I've got better at educating um, and explaining because our confidence has got better. Um, You know, Mm. I think honestly back then I I didn't know what I knew today Um, Mm. and so I couldn't give them that clarity and certainty and present it in a way that, makes it really easy for people to understand and mm. now when clients come to us and i can see some things you know uh and sometimes they'll still go and do it we've had mm. a couple of clients recently do things that um you know they, they're going to want to learn those lessons themselves right um but uh a lot of the time is they will they will listen and you mm. know they'll, they'll hear it and they'll go away they might not want to hear it at first it's, something is like an uncomfortable thing at first um they're mm. heading in the wrong direction we're not validating, we're just really giving you the information and then a week later, et cetera. The client, four weeks ago, um, in Melbourne, maybe um, maybe she's listening, etc. they mm. came to us and they were going to buy a property and now they know it was a really bad property. It was a really tough phone call. Um, they were absolutely in love, desperate, in the market for months. It was on an alleyway. It was a two-bed that couldn't convert to a three. It mm. was like uh, there was the, ox, the agent was telling to a veronica it was like all this mm-hmm. pressure i said look I, my mm-hmm. bet is this will go to auction it might not even cancel the auction and this will sit on the market and you won't and you could get this for a much cheaper than what you pay and even then i wouldn't buy it if we went through a half an hour conversation well what am, it, if you've bought at a better price etc um and they didn't buy it now they're still bought they're still in the market but we stopped them in that decision yeah, I, I do think it's just an experience thing. I think you get better at these in, in a way of articulating it. Um, yeah. Some people want to learn those mistakes and unfortunately you just got to sort of, I don't know, yeah. sort of just let them on their journey sometimes, which is frustrating because it's so hard as a business when you can see that's going to happen, but you just yeah. got to let people do it sometimes. Um, mm. And it is is—it is the way, like the, the best education you'll get is learning
2: lessons, but the hard thing with property is that leverage just compound, like it just amplifies everything. And yeah. I think, a lot of people don't understand that risk, you know. They're just like, isn't this what we do?
1: Um, <laughs> just what you yeah.
2: do. Um, yeah.
1: And we I do, agree. So, yeah. We def- definitely do. You know, a girl a couple of years ago, um, you know, I spent so much time educating her on, you know, the market. We were so close to buying a little apartment. She was single and it was like a little apartment in Ramwick. Um, missed out and then a friend was off the plan you know worked at a developer and she ended up buying it off the plan in sort of Alexandria. i said i really don't think you should do this i don't think it's going to work out well for you mm-hmm. um and she, we lost her from a finance point of view she also had like it was a start of COVID, and she got cut back her hours and she had to settle and uh, it all went really messy um and the other things we, we don't tie ourselves to the outcome of us as a business yeah you know if we lose them i'd much rather prefer to lose them than not like giving that information and yeah um, that's, that's probably why you're going to be around in
2: another 10 years where a lot of other bullish brokers won't because <laughs> yeah. you're playing that long game because otherwise like you know that in short term that's going to hurt you but in the long term your reputation is going to only enhance yeah
0: do you know it's funny. I, we did an episode on wishful thinking. I'll, I'll pop the link in the show notes um, ages ago because I do think that a lot of what drives a lot of people's decisions is wishful thinking over. So it's it's over fact and and real understanding of risk. And I think also the Australian psyche of you can't lose in property. It, that it's a it's a belief that pervades despite all <laughs> the evidence to the contrary. And yeah. And and then I have had people say to me, "You're just negative." <laughs> Look at him. And I'm like
2: No, yeah. I'm educated
0: well, You know, yeah. yes I am About, yeah. Yeah, about yeah. things yeah. that I think Are pretty negative, you know yeah. And yeah. I yeah. also, you know, I'm also a massive glass half full person, but I'm not an idiot. And yeah. and I think that's the difference. You can be positive and an idiot, or you can be positive and a pragmatic realist. And yeah. and I think you have to understand and be prepared to to recognise that there's massive risks you're about to take and, and you, can, you can't eliminate all of those risks. And this yeah. is the other flip side. We've got people that are so risk averse to do nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a danger too. But certainly, you know, eyes wide open. Open is is our motto yeah. and it, and it is heartbreaking though um you know we've, we've lost clients or potential clients too because we you know, our values are very clear we wear, absolutely wear them on our sleeve you know it's 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 out there for anyone who talks to us to understand that we will advise you not to buy something if you really do believe it's it's a it's um, not going to help you yeah and if you don't want to hear that that's okay because there are so many buyers agents out there who'll take your money and tell you what you want to hear. Well, yeah, know?
2: like that. If for anyone who's got half a brain, that should instill a whole lot of trust. When the person who would make money from your decision is telling you not to make the decision, mm-hmm. that should prove to you that person's got your best interest at heart. You yeah, think not, so <laughs> it's not it's not worth. it's not you go and find someone who will confirm your your already emotional decision. Yeah. But
0: people do. I mean, no. I've had I actually had a I, someone that paid for a strategy session with me, and I sat there with her and her husband's before. Before, before lockdown, and and I've probably told this story on the podcast before, and and I kept hearing her justifications, and he had this sort of like dog like eyes, like pleading with me, please stop her, and, <laughs> and she, was, she was like fully fully hell bent on, on making crazy decisions, and and I said, okay, okay, we're at a we're at a crossroads here. I can, you're paying me for my time right now, and I can tell you, okay, what you want to do, great idea, pat you on the back and off you go and do it anyway if that's what you want, right? I'm just letting you know... That's what you want to tell you? I'll tell you, right? Mm. But if you want me to give advice, my advice because because of what I really think is going on and what I think the risks are, then that's what you're really paying me for. But if you don't mm. want to listen to that, I'm okay. I'll, I'll give you what you want. You just tell yeah. me. Do you want what you need or do you want what you want? Mm. Yeah. And you could see on her face, she was like, oh, I just want you to tell me what I want to hear. You could see that her face said that. Her words said, oh, no, I really want <laughs> to know you want, really promise. what you think. And the husband's yeah. going, please, please tell us what you think. Anyway, they didn't buy that particular property but they did go off and buy another one with the help of a buyer's agent, a different buyer's agent, and and when I discovered ages afterwards what they bought... <laughs> It was ridiculous because it was in the same suburb. I didn't realise they bought this. It was an off-market sale and it came under to my attention when we were doing pricing research on another property. And I looked at the sale price of this particular property and went, that must, and and we couldn't find any evidence of, you know, recent photos or anything like that. I said, it must have been completely renovated since the last time it sold because there's no way in a million years that that was in that same condition that could have sold anywhere near that price. That's just nuts. Mm. And so I found the agent who'd sold it and I called him and I said, so that property, just wanted to check with you. Do you have any photos or anything? We're trying to price something else. So I see the price. It must have been renovated. Was it, you know, what degree? How good was it? What was the floor plan? Blah, blah, blah. And he went, no, it was exactly the same. Oh, and I went, God. What do you mean it was exactly the same? <laughs> no, oh, he said, I know. He said, I cannot believe it. I'm still dining out on this one. Oh, and, oh. and he said, guess who bought it? Because <laughs> he knew that particular buyer. Guess who oh. bought it? <laughs> with the help of a buyer's agent. I'm like, "You're." Oh, joking oh you know it, there was a million dollars over i reckon she paid I a mean, oh, million dollars oh like God. basically 25 percent, or it was a third over what she should have paid oh, and yeah. it was just like well the owner just said i'm not selling unless i get this price and the owner had their lucky day that was that lottery win for them oh that um, makes me a little bit sick oh yeah <laughs> but she, that, that was willful that was absolutely willful ignorance. i don't care i want to hmm. do what i want to do and that's okay yeah. that's her money i her husband, um, yeah. that, you know, that's her choice. Some people want to do that. But she paid a buyer's agent to help. Yeah. That's what makes me laugh is that you didn't actually need a buyer's agent to help yeah, you. Yeah, you
1: could have just partner. made
2: that horrible decision yourself.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for having a good chat today, Terry. I loved um, Thanks for the great dumbo as well. And um, so much people can learn, I think, just really understanding how people what money means to them, right? Like, what does it really mean? What are you trying to achieve? Getting deep on these things. uh, It's a good journey to go on. So thanks for having you on, Terry. No, thank
2: you. It was a really good conversation and uh, really enjoyed it.
0: Thanks, Terry. If you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or North Shore, my team and I can help you buy without regrets. Reach out via my website, gooddeeds.com.au.
1: If you're looking to buy your first home, thinking of upgrading into a new one or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, my team would love to carefully guide you on this journey. And most importantly, get the finance right. Reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you again.
0: And remember, don't be a dumbo.